Welcome to Work From The Inside Out, a podcast that highlights real-life stories, practical strategies, and best practices for transitioning your career from unhappiness and dissatisfaction to fulfillment, meaning, and joy. Now here is your host, career and executive coach, Tammy Guler loeb Hey, everybody. I am so delighted to introduce my guest today, Werner Puchert. Werner is joining us today from Warsaw, Poland. He is an experienced design consultant and innovation coach with over 15 years experience in marketing, product, UX, UI, and project management. Werner has a background ranging from marketing and advertising, experienced design and mobile digital transformation, from various companies, including Deloitte. He likes to believe that he's one of the last madmen. I would, I would say he is. I would say you are, Werner. Thank Welcome. You, Thank <laughs> you for having me, Tammy. It's cool to be with you. So, Werner, as you know, work from the inside out, it's all about the transitions that people make in their careers, uh, in their professional lives, the choices they make, oftentimes from places they've been in the past, maybe perhaps places that were less satisfying to places that are more meaningful and fulfilling. So I'd love to hear maybe a little bit about some of your earlier years, maybe some of your early aspirations and how that led you to where you are now. Maybe even what did you dream of when you were a kid? Oh, oh, and by the way, we know we know you grew up in in South Africa, right? Yes, yeah, that was my where I, I cut my teeth. I think is what they say. So uh-huh. I grew up grew up in the southern parts of Johannesburg, an industrial place. Um, early apartheid years. That's also a whole different story. Um, yeah. So I kind of lived through the change. I saw Mandela as a president, which was uh, I would I wouldn't give that up for anything. But of course, a lot of painful times. Yes. But then also, even in those times when people sometimes hear of South Africa, they, you know, as a, as, a, as a white male, like some people would be very negative about it. But I am still very proud to be South African, even though I'm living in Poland now. And even in those times, I managed to build a career. And I, that's why I feel like no matter what your circumstances are, um, if you can see what the market needs around you and where you can serve people well, that is where you need to slot in. Um, and I sometimes, I mean, I know a lot of people are, you know, um, finding it hard and there is minorities and I always tip my hat to my female colleagues who I also believe take it, uh, take some, uh, you know, have to move up the corporate ladder. I've seen it. Um, yeah. But I do believe that sometimes there are, you know, there are ways to, to wrangle and find your way. And I think what I've tried to do in my career is always try and find where there's some kind of need. Um, mm. I remember... I always wanted to to work in the creative space. So I I, I studied fine arts and uh, I wanted to be an artist. But I think as like a white South African male, kind of privileged, I never had a real story to tell. I didn't, mm. like I feel like a, a real artist has a, like a deep down thing that he wants to share with the world. And I never had like a pain or, and perhaps I wasn't really open to the world then, but I, I never had that. So I kind of started falling into this world of technology and creativity and ended up starting working for an ad agency. Mm. But then when I walked in there, I'll never forget uh, my first boss I ever had. And I think this is kind of like a 
perhaps a little bit aligned with someone who starts off their career is that one of the first things I learned is it wasn't really about me. Like at that stage, he really needed someone to code in a certain kind of language. It was some kind of computer language that he needed. I didn't know that. So I kind of cut a deal with this guy. I said, listen, give me a chance. I'll try and prove you. And uh, lo and behold, I found the right boss. And he said to me, okay, Vanna, you've got two weeks to prove yourself. And if you make it, I'll hire you. And that's kind of how I got my my step into the world of advertising because I made the two weeks and they kept me around for, I think it was 10 years. And I managed to work my way up step by step in the ad agency world. And that's why I also mentioned like mad men, because I think I was one of the lucky ones to still work in what was old advertising, you know, where it was all about the creative work and the big idea and yeah. just in the awards and the fame. And uh, I kind of cut my teeth there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about the, the you studied fine arts and then yeah. moved into advertising how did you how did that translation occur how did you move from one to the other and and there was a there was the technology piece in there how did that yeah. fit in i think you know, the, the people also sometimes ask me like even extending my advertising experience going into big firm uh, consulting they go like, how do you go from an ad agency into a big firm? And the same is true from going from fine arts into, let's say, advertising. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when people also look at their, like they, when they're studying or they're doing a degree or whatever, and they, you know, I've never seen studying as kind of trying to study myself into a job. I saw mm-hmm. studying as a conjure or a way to understand how to learn. So when I was doing my fine arts, I mean, I was a sculpture major. Um, oh, interesting. yeah. So okay. I was like blowing stuff up and trying to be all creative and set my my hair on fire once. But um, so, you know, composition, creating work that resonates with people. And for example, I, I realized early on that I didn't have a real, if I didn't have a story to tell to an audience, even if it's a really, like art's really personal, right? If I don't have a story to tell, like, what does that art mean? And I think, you know, I'm taking a long shot here, but I truly believe that's you know, how this fits together. It's like when I started stepping into technology, technology and creativity just became another way for me to express myself. So mm-hmm. how could I, and I found it easier to actually express myself in the world of advertising. And maybe sometimes, you know, I also realized that there are some bad things about advertising because I remember um, Initially, when I was in advertising, we were really selling stuff to people who didn't need it, right? Who needs another bank account, damn it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I've sold many bank accounts. I mean, I, I remember I had a campaign once where we were, I mean, in South Africa, a big thing was um, selling funeral plans. And it was this, this uh, cyclical thing because funerals in Africa, I mean, there's this meme going around, right? Funerals in Africa is really huge. That, like, oh, really? Spend a lot of money on funerals. Uh, and one of our campaigns, and I pitched this to a client. I said to a client, because you remember, keep in mind how you spell funeral, right? I said, listen, we're going to uh, do a campaign where we put the F-U-N back in funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I, I don't know how it. I could, like, <laughs> put the fun back in funeral. But I mean, uh, this is you <laughs> and me. Like, I, I go on tangents. But really, I, I think like the line, just to get back to your question, is that, no matter what you do, it's just your, your tool's different, right? You just have to apply what you need to apply. And in my world, it really became important that what I apply needs to resonate with other people. So clearly you were in a creative enough space where there were, there were obviously 
you know, some deadlines and some parameters where you had to produce, but there was also room to create and, and make things happen. So what an amazing, sure. so that was your, that was your first position right out of school? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I actually had many other jobs. I mean, oh. I've been around the block because of my, uh, of my artistic background. I mean, I, I sold like little crafty things at a craft market for a couple of months until my yeah. dad said, Vanna, you need to get a job, man. Uh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, like, so you, I in other think, words, you were in sales. Yeah. Yeah. I was in sales. I was in sales. <laughs> I like the way, like, Tammy, yeah. That's why you have this podcast, right? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And the, the thing is, I did sign writing. I was all over the place. Um, yeah. I, I, one of my real, I mean, like, full-time jobs that I always say that also had an influence on me before I actually went into advertising because for me, my career started in advertising and I started climbing a ladder. Yeah. But I actually also worked for a newspaper for a while. You did? Um, I was a sub-editor. Yeah. So I, I, we used to, I used to work on the, in the, on the, uh, edit, uh, editorial side of a newspaper where I did play a graphical role, oh. but we were actually there when the, the, you know, when the newspaper had to drop. So I kind of got a taste of this old school kind of news hound kind of things where, you know, the newspaper needs to go out at six o'clock. And then all of a sudden there was a huge thing happened in that area where uh, they either shut down a big factory or there was unrest or whatever. And we had to stop the press. <laughs> oh, wow. Say that. And uh, I kind of lived through that. And that was, you know, I had to write the headlines for these newspapers and we had to lay it out and all these kind of things and work with the journalists. There was... I mean, I, that was kind of a, a real adventure. I was stuck there for a couple of years just because it was such an amazing kind of environment. Um, so you say you were stuck there, though. What, yeah, because felt? the pay wasn't great. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, I think at some stage that balance starts kicking in and you say, mm -hmm. okay, cool. I mean, I need to move forward. But then also I think um, I probably would have still been there if it wasn't for the digital thing. Like uh -huh. uh, I remember, I mean – working there and opening my first MySpace account. Oh, um, MySpace. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and then I started realizing, and I mean, for a South African, you know, who the internet meant a lot. Like I remember having an email address and I can reach across borders because for a long time we were closed off and I can speak to people in, in the States. And I, I actually ended up having a mentor in Canada who kind of led me on a, a career path, still sitting there. And wow. uh, and then I started realizing that there's definitely an engagement piece, and I know that the the newspaper itself started want, wanting to move towards um, kind of digitalization, right? So there was this thing like, oh, we can't put the newspaper online, and I was part of the first people to actually start moving um, media into the digital space. Oh, and wow. lo and behold, where where is it now? You know, um, and that kind of hooked me in, and uh, I wanted to move to the big city, and my advertising career started. I'm thinking, like, how did you even think to go from one to the other? I think in that instance, I'm very hesitant to always to 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 um, create a technology for anything. It's always about human beings, right? But I think in this case, technology did do that because in 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 my in my part time air quotes because it also gave value to my to my newspaper employer. Uh, I started learning how to develop websites, how to program, and that kind of stuff. Oh, and to so I started building a lot of these pages and I took a lot of the newspaper content online and you had to learn HTML and PHP and all these technology things and databases. And uh, I knew that I could do more. 
And uh, that's how I ended up going into this digital agency space that fundamentally, that's kind of where the created, creative art part and the technology came together because I thought in my mind back then that, wow, this is the place where I can actually combine these different aspects of my past. Mm-hmm. I um, see. So you really developed a lot of those earlier skills at the newspaper and you were able yeah. to then translate that over somewhat or at least be able to demonstrate that and part yes and yeah. i mean and the thing is it's so weird though because i mean i i've always felt like i have this thing that i've learned in in my career and it's always about trying to understand who you're building or creating this thing for and yeah. i think it started off when we um started doing headlines for newspapers. I mean, I don't yeah. know, like, you kind of dragged me back into the newspaper world. I was going to put that in the back burner, but Well, I really, think it's like, helpful to hear though where things yeah. percolated or started because you know, it's interesting to have that perspective and then to see where you are now, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting for people to hear that, you know, nobody does anything in a straight line, right? So, yeah. you know, it's I think it's fascinating to hear about how how it started and how it evolved. So, and, and the thing is, I must thank you for real though, because I never really thought of it in this way. Because I remember when we when I first started doing like front pages, I was in charge of doing the front page of this newspaper, and people bought this thing. And I remember driving around and actually seeing people. I mean, that's still old school. They right? were standing outside on the road selling the newspaper. Yeah. And then when you drove up to the news to the person selling the newspaper, you go like, "Oh no, this." Uh, this front page doesn't work. Like, I mean, like, I don't understand what that means. And then I started realizing that I'm actually writing the headlines and creating this front page to sell the newspaper. Right. Like they say, above the fold, that's the most important part, right? That came back to haunt me so many times in digital world, above the fold. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but it's true though, the essence behind the above the fold idea is that you have to make the sale. You have to entice someone in and, I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to put the newspaper world aside and then dive into the world of uh, digital, of digital agencies. And of course, for a couple of years, I was definitely in the world of code. I was a huge nerd. Mm. And then I started realizing if I don't do something to grow my career, yeah. I'm going to be stuck in the basement. Um, right. And, uh, and that started opening me up towards clients and starting to deal with people face-to-face and understanding who we're building this content for. And that kind of dropped me into the world of user experience design. But there again, I started realizing that in the agency world, what we are actually doing is we're selling other people's stuff. Right. So right. it's above the fold again. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just right? maybe in a digital medium or whatever. Right. But, but you were able to do it in a lot of different contexts. Um, for sure. So... So ten years in the in the advertising agency world, and what what made you decide to then pivot or make another change, or what what was the confluence of of events that I, I'm assuming and and correct me if I'm wrong that you went from the advertising world to Deloitte, or is that? Yeah. It's a combination of different things because. Yeah. Um, the the thing I, I was lucky and and I'm still I feel I was blessed up until this point because if I look at um, uh, 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 the people who've played a role in my career and and the funny thing is and I'm not just saying it because you're my dear friend but I've had a lot of females actually push me up in my career mm-hmm. and then finally um, you know and I'm saying this because I come from this weird background you know uh, in, in South Africa I had a 
the um, uh, MD, a managing director of the agency back then. And he was one of our first black MDs. And I was kind of working like in this agency, trying to find my feet. And and at some stage, he called me into the office and said, listen, man, I'm proposing you to join our board of directors for this digital agency. That was my final kind of big thing. And um, I got onto the board of directors and it was like a huge thing for me, like sound contracts and like, I don't know, half the stuff I, and they gave me thick books to read. And I remember that he said to me at some stage that- So is that Anna, like um, being a member of the C-suite of the agency? Yeah. So for this little agency, I got in there, right? Uh, like it's the proper board, right? So that was, I felt very important. I had a business card, the whole thing, right? Whoa. So, <laughs> so, but I mean, I mean, that was like after years, but then I started realizing what it meant to be there because- one of the things that he said to me um, and the reason he wanted to introduce me is that the agency itself was going through a whole bunch of changes and he felt that there wasn't someone on the board to represent the people in the agency because we actually worked in this agency for quite a while and went through very painful times and we were rebuilding this agency and there wasn't a lot of people there to represent the people Mm. of the agency. And I remember Mm. that was one of the worst and best times of my life. Um, I worked for another lady there. We were we were good friends, and but we came to a point where we had a fundamental difference of opinion. They wanted mm-hmm. to change and merge the agency with another agency to make a business move, and I just felt at my core that it was the wrong thing to do. I felt mm-hmm. that there were certain things not above board. Uh, it, you know, I'm not saying that it was something, but I didn't feel right with it. I spoke with the CEO. I spoke with everybody. I fought hard. I had the team in there. And uh, unfortunately, I lost. Mm. And that meant that if I was going to be standing with what I believed in, that I had to hand in my resignation to the board. And I also resigned from from the agency. And it wasn't really a flicking my nose or spiting myself thing. It was really back then, this is what I fought for with a whole bunch of people and what I believed in. And do I stand with this or do I then just go, okay, great. I'm going to fit in with this and then try and, and I couldn't, I couldn't see myself doing that Yeah, and, uh, as sad as it was, but it was also kind of at the time where I felt that I needed a new challenge Yeah, and um, I decided to start my own business and I kind of uh, meant, meant the fence with my, my former boss when we were not seeing eye to eye and I did some work for them and then I landed this interesting client. It was called Deloitte. <laughs> and they, they were a client of mine, my first big client that I won. Uh-huh. And then they couldn't get rid of me because at some stage uh, I got hired in and I actually joined the firm. I joined Big Consulting. Of course, I didn't know too much about Big Consulting. I, I thought it was auditors. and But yeah. back then, yeah, like, and I thought this might be an interesting gig. But also, I mean, trying to bring it back to the, to, to the topic of your podcast – I, I kind of have this thing and I, I've done it a few times in my career. And I, a friend of mine, she's actually, a, she, was a, she was working at Pixar at some stage and she taught me about narrative structure. Mm. And if you tell a story, right, if you tell a story and you don't add uh, some kind of, she calls it tilt. So if you, if, you, if you have a story like Finding Nemo and she worked on that, and if you don't um, add tilt into the story, nothing's ever going to happen. So mm-hmm. you need to add tilt to your story. Wait, what's lot, the word you're using? Tilt, like when you f- want to fall over. You need oh, to tilt. tilt. Tilt, yeah. Sorry, tilt. it's Afrikaans accent. You got to put the American accent on it. Tilt. Tilt. So if you don't add tilt, 
So right. partly when I went to, to this agency and when I, when I decided to make my move to go on my own and when I, I, I really, I could have stayed there, but then I decided to tilt. And I think it's when you tilt, a door will close. Uh, unfortunately, that is a bad thing. And I miss the agency till this day, but the door will close. But then all kinds of other doors will open up. You're just not able to see them until you've tilted. Mm, right. <laughs> so that's kind of my thing. So I tilted my way straight into, into Deloitte, who was at that, at that stage experimenting with this idea of Deloitte Digital. They wanted to have this kind of last mile of business because, I mean, people who know them, Deloitte Consulting, um, it's actually technology side. They take, take care of the big business, like the scary big implementations. And they never work on the small little things that the agencies do. And uh, it's no secret that a couple of years ago, Fjord and all these kind of entities were created along with Deloitte Digital to actually take that kind of business on. And unfortunately for Deloitte, they started hiring people like myself and a whole bunch of other colleagues who actually worked in the agency space, which is a beautiful thing that happened. We were all excited. But I think for the first couple of years, and it was really tough, they didn't know what to do with these strange people. <laughs> and uh, and they was absolutely well, definitely. Well, here I have a question then. So initially they were your client, and yeah. they decided they wanted you on board as one of their own, so to speak. So did your work for them really change in any way as a result of you being their employee? And was it a choice that you had to make? Would they have? Could you have said, no, I'd rather just keep you as a client? Um, was that an option? A bit of both. Because we also yeah. have legislation in South Africa that you can only do a contract with someone for a certain period of time. Oh. So, and this is kind of the thing that we don't speak about of a lot of, from a South African perspective. And it's, when, I started, when I started working in Poland, I started realizing that we have way less kind of uh, rights in Europe as employees than I had in South Africa because if you hire someone in South Africa, you can't just pull the trigger and get rid of them. You have to go through a full process. It's very, very really. I mean, yeah, because of our history, right? And and some of it is frustrating for some of some of the people who hire people, but some of it's very, 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 very good. I mean, I've seen the system work. Yeah, but um, at some stage when I was have like working with Deloitte. Um, not having a formal kind of supplier relationship with them. They had me on a contract and then they said, okay, uh, we can do contracts twice by law with you. And then we either have to continue the relationship on a more stable way or we can't work with you anymore. And that, that I was see. according to- I yeah. see. So there really was not a choice at that point. Yeah. But I mean, so like- or, or there was a choice. It was either work with each other or not at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. And the, it was interesting enough for me, and I mean, of course, you know, they 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 have some interesting things there, and um, you know, uh, it was also somewhere I wanted to be because, I mean, coming from an agency and then walking into that, I always wanted to work in the corporate side. I actually worked for a bank too for a little while, a very short time, to see how a corporate works. Yeah, sure. And, uh, I felt like Deloitte was really the way to see it in a different way because, I mean, yeah. they're not necessarily corporate, but right. they do work in that context. So right. it was really for me the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. And you said they, they weren't quite sure what to do with you, but I can imagine that maybe you could show them the way. 
Yeah, and but the thing is also like, um, and this is why I feel my career is so weird, and I don't know <laughs> if anybody's going to learn out, anything out of it. But I felt like that was kind of a bit of a. It was an interesting journey with Deloitte because when I was at the ad agency, um, I think a lot of people also experience it. You know where you fit in, like you mm-hmm. have a role, and you like I am this, and I fit in there, and I can plug in there. Where for me, the the world of Deloitte was fundamentally different. Mm. How you so? Fit in where, you fit in where people need you. Mm. So, for example, I had so many titles in Deloitte, I couldn't keep up. And I'm not talking about seniority level, but I mean, I was a digital marketing strategist. I was a user experience designer. I was a mobile sh- digital strategist. I couldn't keep up with what, and I think maybe it's also partly my fault and maybe the way that because we were starting up this new entity in Deloitte, they were also not kind of sure what to do with some of us. Mm. And, and also, you know, when you come from a creative path, I know that they were struggling back then. I don't know what's happening there now that our, our progression as creatives or technologists is different because in Deloitte, you have one road. You you start off as, a, as an analyst, you go right. as a consultant, senior right. consultant. And some people don't want that route when you come from right. different worlds. A develop, right. Some developers I know, they just want to be a senior developer and not ever see people or daylight ever in their life. Right, and right, right. That right. was kind of interesting to see Deloitte kind of or Deloitte South Africa back then trying to really grapple with this interest. Yes. Well, in some cases, as your job titles changed, was were you, was your work actually changing? Or do you think that they were changing job titles to try to make meaning or create definitions and make sense out of it all? I think so. I think it was more about them trying to find meaning and and create some kind of definition or where they can fit you in. Because they, 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 a lot of times, even for, for me, even to this day, being on my own, it's really hard for me to articulate what it is that I do. So in that, <laughs> in that sorry, <laughs> but, um, I think they had the same problem. But I mean, we had like a whole room full of people that sometimes you can't know, like don't know what they really good at but they're good at something yeah and i think the only saving grace for me um and it carried me through my ex- i mean i have a very good memory of of being at deloitte mm. and what carried me through was really trying to understand and it's going to sound like i'm on a soapbox but to understand what my boss needed because yeah when i when i started working at deloitte the first let's say first six to eight months it was a mess Mm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's their mess or whatever, but I think there was kind of because of this new entity. Um, and when I when I went in for my second sprint, because I actually moved to Cape Town, South Africa, to do the second part where I actually started working permanently. Uh huh. Um, there I worked with a quite dynamic uh, partner there called Tim Bishop, and uh, the only thing that I had in my mind is I need to deliver what Tim needs. Right. No matter what my title is, what I do, whatever. Because if I take care of Tim, Tim will take care of me. Right, right. Professional. And I think that also, that shaped my perspective on my career a lot. Because I know a lot of junior designers that I deal with, whatever, really try and see the world through kind of like this progression, step by step by step thing. And what the company could do for them. I mean, I remember when we spoke, started speaking in the beginning, it's like, yes, we knew, we need leadership to take care of us and create space. But as employees or people in a team, you need to keep in mind what is it that you're doing for, for your boss. Absolutely. Because your boss has aspirations, right? Right. And once you have uh, that. Yeah. It's an excellent point that you bring up. I mean, as much as this podcast is all about finding your own sense of fulfillment and meaning in your work, you have to know in an employment situation, especially 
if you're, you know, you need to know how to manage upwards. And um, it's not just what can your boss do for you. It's also about knowing what your boss needs and how to make sure that you can communicate effectively with your boss and, and help, help them be successful because the more you can do that, the more you will grow and get your needs met. It, it's, it really is a two way street in that way. And, and usually if you have good communication with your boss, you will know what it is you need to do in order to help them be successful. And And hopefully they will in turn provide you with those opportunities to grow. I mean, it's clear that you had that with that amazing boss you had at the ad agency. Um, And it sounds like you also had that with with Tim in in your role at Deloitte Town. And he wasn't an easy man. I mean, if he listens to this, he knows. He wasn't like... Well, you know, sometimes people who support you and who who have an impact on you aren't easy people, but that doesn't mean that they weren't effective, right? And they have visions and dreams and aspirations. And I think that's sometimes what we miss because I had a conversation with someone recently about the same kind of topic. Yeah. And I asked him, like, what is it that your manager wants? And he said to me, oh, they want the numbers that are on the revenue. And I said, no, no, no. Uh, what does he really need? What, where does he want to go in his career? So, for mm. example, um, when I first met him, he was a director. So what does Tim want? Tim, Tim wants, okay, we need to be successful as a team, but Tim wants to be a partner. Tim wants to grow to become a partner. So what, what role am I playing for him to achieve that? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds a little bit politically kind of thing. There's yeah. nothing dodgy about it, but it's really yeah. about understanding where they want to go as a person. Right. Because some people have different objectives of what they want to achieve. Right. And if you understand that and you can help them do that, they will take care of you. In turn. Hopefully... Hopefully, yeah. you know, not always, but hopefully, but, but you can also in the process of doing that, you can also say, what can I learn as I'm doing that? Oh, hell yes. You know, yeah. Be- you know, because that's where the growth happens, right? Because yeah. if you've done it once, you can, you can kind of, kind of develop a model around that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course, like I wouldn't, the thing is, that's also where things become limit limiting for yourself is that, I mean, and, and I think that probably at the end kind of also started working towards my transition out of Deloitte is like, okay, what am I doing to actually push growth? Because if you're in a position where you're helping someone achieve something and you're not personally growing, because I believe you, you're responsible for your own growth. Yes, so what I'm, absolutely. What, so what I'm, if I'm not doing something that's making me grow, yeah. taking, grabbing it, yeah. then uh, you need to make a move. Yeah. You need to change that context. Right. So, so how long were you at Deloitte? I think it was, I mean, I need to go check again, but it feels like ages because I worked in South <laughs> Africa and then I got the opportunity through Deloitte to actually move to Central Europe. So I kind of repeated what I did in South Africa in, in Warsaw because we started mm-hmm. up at Deloitte Digital in Warsaw. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think all in all, I've been around just under five years with Deloitte, but it okay. feels so much longer, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that, that could be a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, but but I'm sure. curious, just from our listeners, can you can you give us a snapshot of, of a project or something you did while you were at Deloitte that was a particularly rewarding experience or something you did that um, could give them a, a view of, you know, because you said, well, how do I tell people what I do or what I did? Like, was there something you created yeah. or implemented that so, you felt really good about? do some work for a mine 
Um, uh, so, for example, South African mines, one of the big challenges that a mine face there is that they are unable to really speak to their employees. So, for example, um, and also you can just imagine to yourself like a like a African mine and there's people from all over Africa speaking different languages coming together at this mine to work a really tough job. It's not yeah. fun and games. Yeah. Um, this is like low-end, low-end work. But then also when you go for lunch or when you're on your way to go down the pit, you look over your shoulder and you see a very nice BMW standing in a parking lot and you see someone with a suit walking into an office building. So there's a huge like divide between you know the blue collar and the and uh, the, the the management or whatever. So right. we, we started developing a, a platform to actually allow um, everybody to start talking to each other. Now, it sounds a bit all over the place, but in, in the end of the day, what we did is we looked at the technology that the miners were using yeah, because they were using feature phones back then and uh, didn't have access to smartphones and also data was expensive. And we started developing a platform where management could actually speak to the miners and actually share information, but not like do your job or get fired, but like safety and health and yeah. allowing them to buy airtime, like building a platform. Because, I mean, I think sometimes we take these things for granted because in yeah. all the companies I worked for, we had kind of a company platform that we could log into to to book right. leave. These guys right. can't. They have to right. walk in and fill in a paper. Right. So we started doing a lot of development around actually building. So part of my work there was kind of helping to conceptualize and design some of the structure of how this thing would work. Yeah. And then we would get people to implement. So that was something interesting we did. That's really cool. I mean, to think about, you know, building, you know, using technology and all of that to build bridges of communication between, you know, people who really that could really change how that how operations go, right? And how yeah. safety standards get elevated. And I mean, the impact of that could be tremendous, right? So approximately five years with Deloitte, it sounds like you, you developed and implemented um, a lot of things that probably had far more of an impact on people's work lives than you could ever imagine, Werner. I, I just have a hunch because... Um, I do think that you underplay your impact sometimes. I just have a hunch about that. But um, I'm curious then, so in the process of leaving Deloitte or deciding to leave Deloitte, what, you you then decided to go off on your own, yeah. correct? And yeah. what was your... What was your um, intention or what, what were you hoping to create as you went off on your own? So it's it's kind of an interesting story, and I, I think I mentioned to you in passing once a little bit about this because there's there's a few aspects around it. So, you know, what what might be relevant to your audience is the first thing I did is I felt I felt uncomfortable again. I, f I felt like there was time for tilt. So even the first thing I did is I went inside Deloitte and I said, guys, I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. There's certain reasons for it, and I got the opportunity to work with um, because they had a big so. When I was at Deloitte, we worked worked on Deloitte Digital. I never really worked at the big Deloitte consulting, like the mm. big guns. So um, then they said, okay, great. Here's an opportunity for you to go and work with the big consulting um, CRM implementation guys. I worked as a team lead for the Salesforce team in Warsaw. And I, always, I was a senior manager there. And that was the first time ever, and people listening to this would probably not believe it, but where a Deloitte guy had an actual sales target. Because now I became, like you said in the beginning, 
I went back into sales. So <laughs> I had to feed the beast. So I had an actual like a revenue target that I had to make. I had a team that I had to manage, a team that we had to grow in Warsaw, for example, uh, supplier relationships. I'm not saying I was super successful, but I made my target. For the, like, I didn't believe that I could do that. That was the tilt I introduced. I said, like, what would happen if I put myself into a position where I can get into deep trouble? <laughs> and at the end of the day, thanks to a great leader and the team that worked really hard, we got. I made my target. I went, wow, so this is how it feels like when you make a sales target. But then I also started looking around me and I, uh, I realized that that next step um, beyond where I was is like I'm going to chase the next sales target and the next one and then potentially I would be offered the opportunity to move up the ranks or whatever and I looked around the ranks and some of the people didn't look super happy and I thought it was time to make a change because I think ultimately if you can't make a change in your environment and I need to be careful because I don't think there was fundamentally something wrong with the environment it was right. not at that point my environment exactly so the only person you can change is you. That's right. And uh, so I, I decided to kind of dive into this world of entrepreneurship. Yes. I probably could have done a better job though, Tammy. I, what do you mean? You know, if, so for example, um, I always say to people wanting to do the same thing is that I kind of did a very, very cold water leap into entrepreneurship. Um, <laughs> a cold water leap, not yeah, a tilt. So, I didn't make a tilt. I just went, I just fell right over into it. Um, because I think like if I had to give anybody advice to do something like what I've done is to maybe kind of do it over time, you know, build some things up, maybe start looking at your value proposition, identifying your audience. You need, you know, all those cool things. That, oh, you know, that sounds really nice. Yeah. yeah that's very nice. Like, but let's that's not do not that. Let's just, no, I just fell head into this, head first into this kind of, a world of entrepreneurship. But I think I don't have any regrets. I think it was the right thing for me to do that time. Yeah. Because I think I, I tend to get a little bit relaxed sometimes too. So mm. if I don't if I don't spill the cold water, right. I won't wake up. So yeah. that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing now for a year and eight months, I think. So what does it look like now, a year and eight months later? What what would you how would you to the best of your ability, Werner? How would you describe what you do? I, I, I will definitely encourage the listeners to take a look at some of your, um, I would actually encourage them to subscribe to your YouTube channel because I think you have amazing content on YouTube and you have two podcasts also. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to. So the way that I would describe it, because I'm still trying to figure it out too, right? But you could, sure. I'm joking. That's what um, makes it interesting though, right? Yeah. So there's a, they call it the design squiggle. And I can't remember the guy who drew it, drew it first, but it's kind of this messy part. So if you're in, in your minds, I imagine someone starting to scribble a lot and then it turns into a long straight line. Mm -hmm. That is the design process, right? So right. you, you kind of in this world of uncertainty and things feel uncomfortable and oh, it's, and that then it starts developing into an idea and then right. you can build a business and then you start making millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> now, the problem is that the big thing that companies struggle with is that first part, that messy part where you have to do uh, all these uncertain things. That's mm -hmm. where I play. So no matter 
what I've done in my career, I've always found some way to design something, to create something. And the art of create or designing something can feel very messy. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the things that I speak about on my uh, my YouTube channel, for example, is really about like techniques and tools and approaches to the design process. Now, I right. want to be very clear. The design process can relate to creating an event because I also play in the event design space. Right. Creating, I mean, I recently helped a, uh, a well-known uh, furniture company launch a, uh, a pop-up store, for example, mm-hmm. uh, e-commerce platforms. But inherently, all those things have in common one thing. We need to design something. So where I play at the moment is I really help teams go through the design process because mm-hmm. I feel what is happening at the moment is that a lot of companies are now looking inwards towards their teams. So I think Amazon is a good example. Sony, for example, is a good example where they are tapping into the common um, uh, knowledge and inspiration of the people inside the company to come up with new ideas. But to do that, you need to have a process. You need to have a methodology. And I kind of play there to help people go through the methodologies. Yeah, I would would describe part of what you do as you help people in creative ways think through all the messiness and then kind of put some of the pieces into either a framework or some kind of order so that they can start to think about it more clearly and contextualize it. And it doesn't mean that it becomes completely clear at that point, but it starts to take some form and shape so that they can start to move forward into maybe a few scenarios. And then you can help them even go further into more clarity from there of what you do. But then you also have a lot of experience in technology. So you have tools that you can apply to it. It's not just a lot of sort of thinking out loud and talking about it. And there's a unique way, I think, in which you connect with people and listen to them that you can't be trained for. That there's a way in which I think you develop great relationships with people so that you can really serve them well to take them from that messier place to a place of greater I would say creative clarity. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, it's on point. Like the, the thing is you're describing it well, because the thing is at the end of the day, and this is always the risk that I'm also playing with at the moment. Yeah. Because a lot of the content that I'm doing is really around tools and techniques. Yes. But the thing is what I always try and try and relay is that the tools and techniques is only frameworks or lenses. Right, And the problem we're facing at the moment is you have two kind of poles. The one side is that there's this messiness and I don't want to go there at all. Right, And because companies are looking for kind of structure and industrial evolution things, they want to look, they want to find a recipe. And I always say, if you want the recipe, you're going to bake the same cake over and over again. That's right. So, so the tools really like, I find that if you introduce kind of structure and you bring in some tools and some techniques, that frees people up, and I hope this is what I do, is frees them up yes. to kind of get creative because yes. you still have to tap into yourself right. to become creative. Right. And I would also be honest to say, like, I mean, through my experience now for a couple of years, I've seen it work and not work. But sure. And this comes back to the company that you choose to work for because, uh, like, one thing I'll stand with, I mean, you can do smaller kind of creative innovation things within your team. Of course, it's, I'm not saying it's ever possible. But if you're not working for a company that has an innovation culture or or that right. intention exactly. doesn't come from the top, yeah. you're really fighting an uphill battle. 
Mm. Unfortunately, but also fortunately, because I think there are, I think um, the last couple of months um, uh, with with our little shared experience with this pandemic, um, this has really shown that, you know, what's driving the innovation in your company? Is it the CEO or a pandemic? And I think yeah. we're all kind of in this space now where we have to look at things a little bit differently and yeah. come up with ideas quite fast. Absolutely. Well, um, Werner, this has been a, a fabulous conversation. If you were to give somebody maybe one or two pieces of advice about making transitions in their lives or careers around finding more fulfillment or meaning as they go forward, what would you say is a key piece of advice or two that you would offer? I mean, the one thing I will always stand by, and I think I kind of tried to sneak it in a few times in this conversation, is that like whenever you um, start off in a, in, a, in a new company or you're looking for somewhere to build a career, you need to really understand what is the objective of the people that you're going to be working with. Yeah. And there's two things. Like they, they're going to tell you what they want, but you need to figure out what it is that they need. And that's mm. going to be elbow grease, doing a bit of research, trying to figure out what people are about, what is their background. And I think when you understand that, and then also, of course, what the customers and the business aspects is of the company that you're going to work for, um, what they stand for. And I think that's even becoming more and more important now. It's like, what does the company stand for? Right. You need to sort all that out before you go in. Because yeah. if you think you're going to change it when you're in, it's going to be a bit tough. Right. Yeah. Good advice. It's great. And Werner, what would be a, the best way for people to find you if they wanted to learn more about your work? Um, LinkedIn is definitely my place. Okay. I'm, I'm there. I'm hanging out with you from time to time to see all your awesome content coming through. <laughs> um, they, can also, they can also find me on YouTube, like you mentioned. I try and create content there. And then, I have to mention it in your show, I am also available on Twitter at all the right. handle wiener dog but that's a whole different story <laughs> all right well we will have all of that in the show notes i totally i can't encourage people listening to this enough to take a listen to uh or take a view of some of Werner's work on youtube and his podcasts um he does outstanding work and he's a very engaging host and um, you only got the tip of the iceberg here today. So please uh, follow Werner and his work because it's really engaging and interesting. He covers a lot of different topics and he's a generous, generous person with his content. So Werner, thank you so much today for being here. And Tammy, thank you to you. And like always, I mean, you've been very gracious to me, but um, thank you for the work that you do and like the inspiration and challenges that you throw my way because it also uh, keeps me growing. So I like, thank you so much. Well, I know you can handle it. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> thank you, Tammy. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Werner Puchert. It was so interesting to speak with him and learn about his professional journey. What is your key takeaway from our interview? If you are interested in any of the resources or links mentioned in today's podcast, you can find them on the blog page of my website at www.tammygoolerlobe.com. Just look for episode 082. 
Are you thinking about what your next professional move is going to be? Perhaps there was a thought or idea that was sparked by listening to today's podcast that you'd like to put into motion in your life. Not sure where to begin or think you would like some support? I am offering a six-session small group mastermind program for women who want to explore their what's next. You will get the information, inspiration, and support you need to get where you are going. Cohorts are starting on a rolling basis. By the completion of the group, you will be ready to take on new goals. If interested, Check out my free three tips and three resources to help you navigate your career in a new direction. You can find them at www.tammygoolerlobe.com forward slash three dash tips dash and dash three dash resources. That's tammygoolerlobe.com forward slash three dash tips dash and and dash three dash resources. If you were inspired by this episode with Werner, please share it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you enjoying the podcast? I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find through my website at www.tammygoolerlobe.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the Apple Podcast button and follow the instructions provided there. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, it's never too late or too impossible to increase your sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in your work and other meaningful activities. Let me know how it's going for you. And who knows, maybe you'll be my next interview on this podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Work From the Inside Out podcast. For more information, you can find us at www dot work from the inside out dot com